So I'm Bear Deardorff, for those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders uh, here at the church, and um, you've seen some of us wearing this shirt, and we get questions about what does this shirt mean? It says, many hands make light work. So I wanted to give just a little bit of an intro into what that means. We're going to have a few talks over the course of time here between the elders and the rest of us. This is a program that we're bringing out to kind of bring awareness to the fact that we are one body in Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are one body, but we are all parts of that body. And each one of that part of that body has a purpose. So you have a purpose in the body of Christ. And I'm going to teach you a little Greek here today. I'm going to be like Gus from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. How many have seen that? So you give me a word in English, i tell you what it means in Greek. So we're going to start with the word all. What does the word in English all mean in Greek? Anybody know? Very good. So some of you already know Greek. All right, that's great. In the Greek, it's oila. Say that, oila. Okay. Next, you have the word one. Does anybody know what one means in Greek? Very good. Very good. That's excellent. One, it means one. And in the Greek, it is enaz. Say enaz. Okay, so we have oila and enaz. Now we have the word body. Does anybody know what body means in Greek? It means body. And how do we say that in the Greek? We say it soma. Soma. So oila. Enaz. Soma. All one body. Every last one of us is a part of the body of Christ. And each one of us has a purpose. Some of us sing and lead worship. Some are in the sound room taking care of the sound that we need to hear. Some are taking care of the babies in the baby's room. Some are taking care of the children in children's church. Others are doing the youth. Where are you in the body? Some of our members of our body are getting a little worn out and we need help. So I'm asking you, I'm challenging you to pray and ask the Lord where he needs you in the body of Christ. If you wanna be on the puppet team, see Gary Wong. If you want to be, yeah, poop, poop, let's go pigs. Uh, how many pigs we got in here right now? Come on, pigs. Oink, oink, oink. All right. All right. If, if you want to serve on security, see John Naputi. We need your help, folks. We don't want anybody getting burned out. Any, any part of the body that is taking over for another part of the body that's not doing its part will get worn out. So I ask you to pray about it. Oila, enaz, soma. God bless you. All right. Good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are uh, are ready for for some God's word this morning. It's uh, it's been fun going through the book of Romans. Um, I have absolutely loved it. There's so much theology. So if you're if you're new here uh, or haven't been coming for a while, maybe and you missed a little bit of it, I would urge you to go back, go onto our website, which is discovercommunity.church. And you can find our podcast. You can go back and catch up on maybe some of the messages. And it's important. Um, I, I think Romans is one of the most important books in the Bible. They're all important. But this one is great in that it just crystallizes so much theology, so many things that we need to know as Christians moving forward together. And it's, it's God's grace that this letter even exists. And remember, the book of Romans is it's a letter, it's not a standalone book. It was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to 
this church in Rome, this church that was just starting up, and they kind of had a bunch of different sort of beliefs. The, the members of this church came from kind of different places theologically in their background and stuff, and they were coming together as one body to then follow Christ. But they still had all these preconceptions of the way they were raised and taught and trained, and Paul's trying to overcome these things. And what we see in, in the book of Romans specifically is how God uses, sometimes he says no to us, to our desires, things we want to do, in order to accomplish something higher. And the way it worked in this instance is that Paul, the apostle, as he was traveling around spreading the gospel, um, he kept saying over and over again, I want to go to Rome, I want to go to Rome. He had it on his heart that he wants to go to Rome. But if you read in scripture, it continuously says, but he was denied, but he wouldn't go, but he couldn't go. Things kept happening to deny him that opportunity to physically travel to Rome. So what he did is at one of his stops, he said, okay, I need to write, I need to write a letter to this church in Rome. Since I'm clearly not going to get to go there, I'm going to write a letter to them, and I'm going to just kind of outline the things that they need to know, the really core concepts, things that they need to get a grasp of. And so he writes this letter, and now we have that letter preserved as the book of Romans. And if he'd been allowed to go there, if he just would have gone anyway, then he would have spoke to them, given them what they needed to know, and that would have been fantastic for them, but we wouldn't have the blessing of that. You see how that works? So, so he may have felt that he was being denied of something that he wanted, but God used that. And all these 2,000 some odd years later, God is still using that for our benefit. So that's just one way in which that works, that delayed response to our wishes sometimes. So we're again, we're in, we're in the book of Romans. Last week, uh, we were in chapter four, and chapter four talks a lot about Abraham. Paul uses Abraham as an example of what faith in action looks like. Remember, Abraham was not necessarily a believer raised in a pagan household. He, wasn't, he really had nothing special about him to recommend him when God pulled him out and he singled him out and he said, I'm going to make, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless, in fact, all nations through you. I'm going to make you father of many. I'm going to promises him all these things. And it wasn't because Abraham had distinguished himself as this, as this incredible figure. And so God chose him. In fact, um, in fact, he had very little other than God's will. God knew that he would be obedient. And so when we left the end point of last, uh, last chapter, chapter four, we kind of ended on this point where righteousness was credited to Abraham because of his faith. So it was simply because of his faith, God pulled him out and credited him with righteousness. It wasn't through anything that he worked for or did. He didn't achieve it. God simply spoke it over him and credited it to him. So this is where we are as we get ready to go into chapter 5. We kind of end up with that idea. And before we go in, I want to ask this question. And I want to just blurt out some answers. What does it mean to be a Christian? When I say, if I asked you or if somebody asked you, what's it mean to be a Christian? You're a Christian? Okay, what's it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean? What would your simple answer be? Not all at once. Take turns. <laughs> to be Christ-like. Christ okay. Correct answer. But if you're not a believer, it's like, oh, what does that even mean? Right? So what else? To have a relationship with God. To have a relationship with God. 
perfect. What are some of the benefits? If somebody asked you, okay, being a Christian, you got to go to church and you got to read your Bible and you got to do all kinds of stuff. If they said that to you, they go, why, why do you, what's the benefit to you of being a Christian? What would you say? Peace. Salvation. Okay. There's all, there's all kinds of benefits like that that we can tout. But these benefits are all kind of debatable. What does that mean? You even talk about salvation, okay? That'd be one of probably one of the primary benefits that we would say, hey, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, your salvation is secured. First of all, there's different ideas of what that really looks like. But think about if you were in that church in Rome... And remember, I, I set this up a while ago, but just as a reminder, that church is, is all over the place theologically. Even among the Jewish portion of that church, there were disagreements on what correct theology was. There were Pharisees and Sadducees, and they believed different things. So if you're coming to them, if you're Paul and you're just coming out and you're saying, hey, follow Jesus, your salvation is secured. Okay, that's true. However... Half of this group, this Jewish group, didn't even believe in salvation. Like, that's not even an option. So that's a whole new concept to them. The Gentile side of the room or of, the, of this church, they struggled with what even that meant. So there was no clear understanding of what even salvation was. So if you just said, okay, that's the carrot that I'm dangling for you to become a follower of Christ, that probably didn't mean that much to them. So like anybody else, when somebody offers you something, you're like, okay, first of all, is there a catch involved, right? Human nature, is there a catch involved? And then if there's anything that you've got to do, even if it's, I just have to give up my former way of life and walk into this new thing, what's in it for me? Okay, is there a catch and what's in it for me? And so that's kind of where we are right now as we go into chapter five here. Paul's trying to explain to them that this gift, this gift of righteousness that, that is declared over you as a believer in Jesus is a precious thing. And it's so much more than just something you put on your shelf and look at every now and then. It's something that has real, tangible benefits. And that's what he's trying to get across here. So as we go into, as we go into chapter 5, it's important to note, and this is this is something we can learn anytime that we're reading the Bible, whether it's a new chapter or, an, or a new paragraph or whatever it is. If it starts out with the word, therefore, anytime it starts out with the word, therefore, it means you got to go back and find out what he's linking that to, right? It's a linking thought. So you can't just take it on its own. You have to say, okay, in light of these things, now these things. Okay, so you always have to look at it as a whole. It's not a, it's not a standalone pick-and-choose proposition. So in order to understand chapter 5, let's go back to the last few verses of chapter 4. And I'll just read these to you here, okay? This is Romans 4, 23 to 25. It says, Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him. Who's the him? Abraham, right? And what's the it? It was credited. Righteousness. Righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, 
to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. That's how chapter 4 ends. Okay, it's important to know it's not just for Abraham. Even though he's pointing at Abraham and it was credited to him as righteousness, that gift of justification through faith in Jesus is a gift for all of us. That's for all of us, so it's important. And Paul then now transitions into what we call chapter 5. To him, it was just next paragraph. And he starts talking about really how precious that gift is. And this is where he starts. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it sounds nice, right? A couple things that we need to know when we look at this, just this sentence here. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have. Having been and we have. Having been, we have. That's, that's present tense. That's right now. Okay? You have been. This isn't something that we're all reaching to attain someday. God spoke that over you. It's been done. It's been done because of what Jesus Christ did. And if you're a believer in him, then this applies to you. Having been, we have. Okay, God declared it over you, so therefore you have. It's not some distant goal that we're hoping to attain someday. It's a gift given to you. You have it. Now, let's go further on. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. What do you think of when you think of the word peace? Shout it out. Do you guys need more coffee? <laughs> it feels like you need more coffee. Okay, rest. What else? Calm. Assurance. Assurance. Rest. Calm. Okay, I would think of things like comfort, stuff like that, right? That's what you think of, and that would be nice enough. We have peace, we have comfort, we have rest, we have calm with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what? That's not what that means. That word peace is the opposite of war. That's a different meaning of peace. We are no longer at war, but we are at peace with God. Now you say, okay, now we were never really at war with God, were we? We were certainly had, we were in opposition to God and his will for us, right? So you can think of war as, as tanks rolling through or chariots and horses, or war is simply opposition. We were at war. Peace is not comfort and tranquility. It's the opposite of war and wrath. And that's the place that we were in. That's where we were before Jesus Christ came and reconciled us to God, ending that. And I'll share with you some scriptures because we, sometimes we forget these things. Okay, a little bit later, Romans 5, verse 10, Paul says this, we were enemies of God. Enemies of God. And then in Exodus, going all the way back, Exodus twenty two twenty four, 24, 
This is the Lord himself speaking. He says, my anger will be kindled and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Ooh, that sounds like we're at war. That sounds, that doesn't sound good. Deuteronomy 32, 22, 23 says, for a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol, which is, even those buried and dead in the ground, my, fi- my anger is on them, and consumes the earth with its yield and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap misfortunes on them and I will use my arrows on them. That sounds like some wrath. That sounds like we're in opposition at that point to what God wants. Now, is this just an Old Testament idea? It'd be very easy to go, ah, oh, it's just Old Testament stuff. But listen to what, again, the Apostle Paul, what he writes, different letter, this letter is to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. That's present tense. So how come, if we've been justified through faith in Jesus Christ, how come sometimes it still feels like we're in that place of wrath or we have enmity with him or we're literally at war with God. Sometimes it feels like that. Now, if you're in a place and you've said, and you say, I've, I've never felt that, all I've ever known, all I've ever felt is a loving God, then fantastic. But there are so many people who feel that they're in opposition from God. I talk to them all the time, and maybe my perception is a little bit highlighted of these sorts of things because I do deliverance ministry, but one of the most common things that I hear is I know what God says. I know his word is for good and all that, but, but I haven't earned that yet. I'm not good enough. I've done so many things that once I get to that place to where I feel like I've got it together, okay, now maybe I can latch onto some of those promises from God. But I'm just not there now. I haven't been to church in so long. I've been doing this, been doing that. I've got different things in my life, and that's just not me right now. But church, that is a lie. Because when Jesus Christ came and gave himself to reconcile us to the Lord, guess what? He did it for everyone. He did it for Republicans and Democrats, liberals, liberals, conservatives. No matter where you are on the spectrum, believers, non-believers, Jesus gave himself to give you that opportunity to be declared righteous by God. And there's so many people who just leave that gift unopened. They're afraid to accept it. They don't feel worthy to accept it. But that doesn't mean the gift has not been offered to you, and we just need to get over our perceptions that somehow or another we're not worthy of what Jesus did. So this is what he's trying to get over. And he's telling this church, he's, you know, who are probably thinking things like, well, if, if we're justified in Jesus and we're still going through the same kind of stuff... We're still being persecuted. We're still being ostracized. We're still having problems because the government uh, that we're under, the Roman government at that time, is hot and cold on us. So we don't know if we're going to be kicked out of our houses one day, kicked out of Rome 
one day. We don't know what's going to happen. So what, is, what benefits us? What's in it for us to declare ourselves followers of Jesus and to, and to follow him? What good is it? Well, Paul then, Paul then sees that. He, he sees that this, that this issue is arising, and he answers them in this way. This is Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. All right, we need to do some, we need to do some dissection there and see what he's talking about here, right? So let's just take it apart a little bit. We also exult. When you think of the word exult, what, what's that? Right. Praise, praise, you're, you're, you're exalting him, you're, you're holding him to a, high, to a high position. Anything that we exalt, I would think of, and many of us do, that you're, you're elevating it, you're putting it on a pedestal, so to speak. Okay. But what really what that means at its core is God-given assurance, which is slightly different than the way we look at that word exalt. It's a, it's a joy it's an internal joy that comes from an assurance from God. God-given assurance. That's what it means in this context here. So we also have God-given assurance in our tribulations. Now, what's tribulation? Trouble. Trouble. Trials. Issues. Stuff. Okay, that's what it means. We also have God-given assurance that we're going to have stuff. Okay, it doesn't sound super compelling so far. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That tribulation, by the way, also means pressure. It means pressure. It's an internal pressure. Any fans of the comedian Brian Regan here when he says you're about to experience some pressure? Okay, buckle up. That's what they use for pain. Okay, pressure can be physical pain, it can be spiritual, mental pain, it can be all kinds of different things, but he's assuring us, we have God-given assurance that we're going to go through some stuff, but when we go through that stuff, that pressure, that pain, it brings about perseverance. Okay, perseverance is endurance. If any of you who have ever trained for anything, if you're, if you're lifting weights, if you're running, if just about any discipline that we go through, dieting, you name it, we have to endure. We just have to sometimes just persevere and push through. When you feel like you want to stop, when you feel like you can't do any more, you push forward a little bit more. And then you start to realize, I can do this. And you develop endurance. They talk about marathon runners, and over half of the difficulty in running a marathon is not just that your body can physically do it, it's that your brain wants to tell you, you can't do this. You need to stop. And it's overcoming that mental block that leads to our endurance. Okay, and that's the same way that it works with us with Christ, and the reason that we go through these, and I'll talk about this more later, but the reason we go through these things is so that next time you go through this, you know you made it through last time. So you're going to make it through this time. 
That's what God-given assurance is. So then we go further, verse 4, and perseverance so that in endurance, proven character and proven character hope. What's proven character? Proven character more accurately translates as the word proof, okay? But they've changed it to proven character because that makes more sense to us. Here's what proof is. Proof, as used in this language, is a metallurgy term that they used for people who made swords and fine metals. The finest metals, the finest swords, were made of metal that was pure, that was free of impurities, that had been purged and had been, had been sifted out of everything that wasn't pure in its character of the metal that they were trying to do, whether it was gold or whether it was iron for a sword or steel or whatever it was. The idea here is that proven character means those things that don't belong in you, those things that are contaminating your spirit from where God wants it to be, are being purged through this process. That's what he's telling you. So we, ha- we also exult. We have God-given certainty, God-given promise, confidence that we're going to go through some stuff. And not only some stuff, but some stuff that we're going to have to endure. We're going to have to endure it. And that process of enduring is going to purge our character of those things that are outside of what God's perfect plan for us is. And the reward for all this, the very last thing, the reward, the ultimate prize for going through these tribulations and all this trouble is hope. Yay. Does anybody else jump up and down like, I go through all this and I get hope? Okay. That doesn't sound super exciting to me. I'll just be transparent here. If they said, you go through all this junk and the reward for it is hope. Hope in what? Hope? What if I I choose to do without hope? Can I skip everything else? Doesn't necessarily work that way, but I think we need to look at that word hope. We need to see what that word hope really is because there's some kind of disconnect there in what hope means. So if we look at the word hope, first of all, let's go, let's check out scripture. We've got it on screen, Romans 5, 5. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Hope does not disappoint. Okay, so when we talk about hope does not disappoint, hope then has to be a tangible thing if it's not going to disappoint us. What is hope? So as Christians, what can we hope for? that maybe non-Christians can't. What's that? Eternity. Eternity. Okay. Peace, all these things that, that we know now, but think about, he's speaking to this audience then. He's speaking to this audience then, many of whom didn't believe in the whole eternity concept. And again, they're all over the place, and so he's trying to get to them. We can look in hindsight and go, yeah, we have all these hopes. But here's what he's saying, certain of what, certain that while you're here on earth, there will be things that you're going to have to endure. You can be absolutely certain that being a follower of Christ does not exempt you from anything that comes your way. In fact, in many cases, it makes you a target. 
So let me ask you, when you look at the news, or you read the newspaper, or you talk to people at work, or you see the things that's going on in the world, when we see, and we can joke about it, but certain Congress members that were newly elected trying to, to enforce these new ideas, these radical uh, socialist ideas on our country that's never, it's never been that way. We've never embraced that. And yet you look at it and it's picking up steam. Like how, how can the country I know, thought I knew, begin to embrace these concepts that are things that we not that long ago went to war against? You kind of think that things are just spiraling out of control. You look at racial issues and divisions. I'm taking some classes um, at, at Rappo Community College. I'm, I'm working towards a communications degree. And <laughs> I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, last week, last week, the topic was white privilege. The topic was white privilege. And I had to write an essay on white privilege. And my point was, that's why I'm here. Because I want to learn. Right now, the class is intercultural communications, and I'm trying to learn things that maybe I'm blind to when I'm dealing with people from other cultures. Okay, ways that I perceive things, ways that I see things that are hindering me from communicating with other cultures. And the, the bottom line of this, which is interesting enough, I'm the only middle-class white male in this class. And so I had to sit through a 40-minute film basically explaining to me, while I could feel the eyes burning into my head, <laughs> that there's literally nothing I can do. The fact that I was born, I was born white, I was born a male, and I live in a middle-class society, there's literally nothing I can do to make it right. So I should pretty much just take my stuff and go hide somewhere because the world is theirs now. These are the kind of things that we're faced with. Would you call that a trial? Would you call that a tribulation? Would you call that pressure? I felt pressure. I felt pressure. And my impulse was to say, look, you guys don't know anything about anything. Come see me when you're 30 years older than you are now. <laughs> That was my impulse, but guess what? I had. What I had was an assurance. I had an assurance from our Lord, from the Word of God, that yes, you're going to go through stuff, especially if you're going to be out there as a Christian. You're going to identify as a Christian. You're going to walk upright in who you are, and you're not going to hide from it, and you're not going to pretend that you're something that you're not. If you're going to be out there, and you're going to wear your Christianity proudly, as a follower of Jesus, stuff is going to come your way. We have that assurance. But guess what other assurance we have? We have the assurance that you won't go through it alone. Church, that should have got a bigger amen. We won't go through it alone. Amen. You are never alone. No matter what this world throws at you, you are not alone. You will have everything that you need to stand against it. And not stand against it with arms crossed and, and, and be a butthead about it, but with grace and dignity, with grace and love for others. 
When I was in that class, again, I, I don't do everything right, trust me. But in this situation, I handled it okay. So I'm gonna use it as, I got another example that I didn't handle okay, that's for another message, I'll pull that one out. But for this one, but for this one I sat there, and I went, I know who I am. I know who God has called me to be. I know what Christ died to give me. And if I, if I show anything less than grace and love to these people who are my neighbors, then I'm doing a disservice to the gift that Christ gave me. But the thing is, I didn't feel like I had to stand up and point fingers and get angry and stomp away and take my toys and go home because I was secure in who God had made me to be. And therein lies the problem. So many of us are not secure in who we are in Christ. We may have heard the messages. We may believe some of the things, but other things are just hard to grasp onto. They're hard to believe. They're hard to internalize, internalize that you are blameless and you are justified and you are righteous in the eyes of God. And so many of us go, okay, I hear that and I know it. I could recite it. Might even be able to tell you where it says it in the Bible, but I'm not quite there yet. Not quite there yet, because if I was, I wouldn't have given the hand signal to the guy in traffic on the way to church this morning. I didn't do that, by the way. Gabe would have punched me. I would have had a black eye. That's how you know. She would have rebuked me sternly had I done that. But the thing is, if you know God's promises and you believe God's promises, that's what hope is. So you can go through an assurance that there's going to be trouble, there's going to be pressure, there will be pain, there will be things that are hurled your way. But if we understand the promises of God and they're not for the person next to you or two rows down or that holy person that you know at work, they're for you. And if you know that and you grasp that, then no matter what comes your way, verbal insults, news on the, you know, fear of what's coming our way in our, in our society, and none of these things are going to be able to penetrate and get to you that will cause you to react in a way that the devil wants you to react. Because that's what the devil wants to do. The devil was prompting me in the middle of that class to say, why don't you stand up and tell him what for? Okay, he was telling me that, and part of me went, yeah, I want to do that. But the renewed person inside me, the one who realizes what Jesus Christ died to give me, said, uh-uh, love them. Because by loving them and showing them humility, and you can only do that if you're secure in who you are, that's going to make a bigger impact than anything you say. In fact, if you get up and tell them what for, they'll go, yeah, we thought so. We thought that's what a Christian was like. That's what we get. And the devil uses it for his purposes. I don't want to be used for the devil's purposes. In this world, I want to be above it. I want to be not of this world. We walk in this world. We live in this world. But we are called to be something higher. And that means standing up for when we see something that's wrong. Yes. We don't just watch all this stuff and say, I'm not going to participate. We are called to participate. 
in our culture, in our government, in our society. We're called to participate, but do it in a loving way. Do it in a way that glorifies God. We can't just sit on the sidelines and bury our head and just watch things tumble out of control. There, there's common quotes from different people that say the only thing required for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. That's true to a point. We know that in the end, we win regardless. But here on earth, it's our job to bring the light. Bring the light. Be an influence in places that you can be an influence. And we can only do that if we have an assurance of who we are. So it goes on. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians. Again, this is Paul. He's talking about what the promises of God are. We've got this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. The old nature of who we were, maybe that person that would have jumped up and punched somebody for speaking out against me, that person is gone. In all of us, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that regenerated spirit. So we don't walk in it only because we're not confident in who we are. And so that's why I want to wrap the message up like this. The only thing that can even hope to allow us to stand against those kind of attacks and stand in the face of the enemy confidently is an assurance of who we are. So what I've done, worship team, you guys can go ahead and start getting ready. In the back of the room here, we've got a table on, on the way out. And I've printed out, just on, on some paper, I've printed out some different scriptures about who you are in Christ, about your identity, about what the Word of God says about you. And there's probably 30 of them on there. I want everybody to grab one. You can grab it on your way out. You can grab it during our response time when we're moving around for communion and prayer. Read through those. You don't have to do it right now. Take it home, crack open your Bible or, or look at your app or whatever you want to do and read those scriptures and see which ones resonate with you. Not resonate like, yeah, that's me, I believe that. Look at the ones that don't resonate with you. The ones that you have a hard time grabbing onto. I am a child of God. Eh, I don't know about that. Grab that scripture, and then next to, that, next to those papers, I have um, some bookmarks. There's four different types, and they have scriptures on them, and they're kind of fun, but that's not the point. The point is the back of it's blank. And what I want you to do is when you pinpoint that scripture like, I believe these, but there's a couple of them that I struggle with that they apply to me. I want you to write those on the back of that bookmark. It's blank for a reason. Write them on the back there and carry that with you and meditate about those and ask God, Lord, I have a hard time believing this. Show me your heart. Show me what you think about this for me. Meditate on that. Let those ones, because it's easy to just carry around those things that we're like, oh, I'm solid in that. The things the enemy is going to use against us is those things that we have a hard time believing. Those things that we struggle with. God's promises that we're just having a hard time grasping and applying to ourselves. That's exactly where the enemy is going to hit you. So it's a tiny little card. It's a little piece of paper with some printing on it. But that can be the very thing that helps you stand in the face of what the devil's going to throw at you. 
very thing that gives you calm in the storm, the very thing that gives you hope when it doesn't look like there's reason for hope. Amen? So that's what I'd like you to do. I'd like everybody today. You grab as many as you want. You can give them to friends if you, if you have a friend that you think would, would benefit from that. Please take one. Let's do that and get secure in who we are. And then let's take communion together. Communion is a wonderful thing. Communion is a celebration. It's not a, it's a solemn act, but I don't think it should be a somber act. I think it should be a celebration of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. In fact, the rest of chapter five, in fact, almost the whole second half of chapter five, um, the apostle Paul talks about the comparison between Adam and and Jesus. He talks about through Adam, through one man in Adam, sin entered the world. And from that time on, literally, we have been at war with God. We had been at odds with him and his plan for us, but again, through one man in Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled. So is it unfair that through the actions of one man, Adam messed up, so we all have to pay? How does that look in God's kingdom? I don't know, but what I do know is that he provided Jesus to reconcile us to him. And we all have that opportunity. So if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't, I don't even know for sure Jesus is my Lord and Savior. During our response time, go in the back. We have prayer ministers all in the back there talk to them about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because the number one thing that has to happen is that you have to quit resisting and just say yes. There are some things, some prayers, some affirmations, things that you can do to help solidify that. But the first action is ours. And it's offered to you. Whether you want it or not, it is offered to you. And it's only up to us to make the decision to accept. But for the rest of us, we should take communion with thankful hearts, thankful, joyous hearts, that we have this hope, this assurance that no matter what comes our way, we aren't going through it alone. We won't go through it alone. And that's something to be thankful for. So again, well, at communion, we have, uh, if you're new here, we have juice and bread and crackers at both crosses. You can serve yourself or your family. Just dip the bread or the cracker in the juice. And up front here, we'll be serving wine and we'll serve you if you'd like to be served. Let's sit here as long as you need to and just let the Lord minister to you. If you want to stand up and worship, if you want to start taking communion right away, you can do that. But let's do it with just an understanding. That understanding should create joy if you realize the fullness of what Jesus offers to you. So let's go ahead and start moving around. The worship team will play. You can move around anytime. Take advantage of the cards either on your way out or do it now as you move around. But uh, let's just give him praise. Amen. Thank you, church.
You guys want uh, some prayer prayer teams in the back waiting to pray with you guys whatever that is if you need some uh, healing in your life or you need to be set free from something or you've just got a problem that you're trying to deal with god wants to meet you where you're at and so i encourage you to step out and allow them to the honor of praying with you this morning
to my knees as I lift my hands to pray. Got every reason to be here again. Father's love draws me in. And all my eyes want to see is a glimpse of All I need is you, Lord. 
this in your hand, Lord. That the God of the universe, the God over everything that you see, holds us each in his hand. And God, we're so thankful for that. And literally, God, we, we realize, we know that, that you are all we need. I just pray over everybody's situations and circumstances and everything that's going on in their lives, God, that they know that you are all they need. We, you, we know that you are all we need. And we're just so thankful that you hold us in your palm.
We bless you guys as you go today. We're going to sing one more. Hope you'd stay with us, but if you got to go, we understand that too.
Have an awesome week, guys.